mildly entertaining, somewhat obscure guests, relatively interesting topics, semi-professional production quality, reasonably well-informed commentary, a great value for the money, hundreds of fans all around the world. It's the Starting Strength Gyms podcast with your host, Ray Gillenwater. Today we're here with Jordan Burnett. It's Burnett, right? Not Burnett. Right. Burnett from Starting Strength Dallas, Starting Strength Coach, one of Brent Carter's guys. Just did an interview with uh, Michael Jones. So we're featuring a few of, of the guys from the DFW crew. We featured a bunch from the Houston crew. So you all will get to know the coaching staff of these gyms a bit better. Jordan is a lot like me. Jordan was a six foot plus, well, still is a six foot plus tall fella and was uh, exceptionally skinny. Rip would refer to people of our stature prior to starting strength as tiny insect of a man. He'd call me a tiny insect of a man. Um, yep. So 120 pounds, six foot. Was it, wait, was it 120 pounds or six foot one? 140 It was pounds. around 135. 135. Okay. Which is just, yeah, I was 168 and I was skin and bones like my wrist and my, yeah. my upper arm were almost the same diameter. So you were, you were in worse shape than me, but. I think you can see my lungs. <laughs> but you've come a long way, man. You've come a yeah. long way. I just reread that yeah. article you posted. Uh, oh, what was that name? What was the name of the article where you talked about your, uh, you know, your childhood and growing up and lifting? We'll uh, we'll link that. Oh, in the description. Um, I don't remember what I called it. Rip uh, renamed it. Yeah, he has a tendency. <laughs> so to I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember what he ended up calling it. I'm not mad when he renames my titles. He's uh, got some copywriting skill, so that's fine. Right. I um, agree. But that was a hell of an article. That was uh, that was inspiring to read, and um, I think it's something that young skinny men that are having trouble with self confidence and just kind of finding their path in life and might have been victims of bullying and all kinds of other bullshit that we deal with as young men should read. You know, it's almost like that uh, that Henry Rollins article. Uh, it's not an article. I guess it's more of like an essay. It's almost a poem um, called "The Iron." We'll have to look oh, yeah. at that as well. That's a that's a hell of a piece. The iron never lies. Um, yeah, but I've I've been seeing Jordan around the last couple of years, and I just saw him at this last coaches conference. And uh, every time I see him, he's in better shape. And figured it was about time we we get on the podcast together and have a conversation. So, Jordan, welcome, man. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. Um, I would love to hear your story. I know I know we'll link to the article in the description, but only a few percentage of the viewers will go and read it. So. Can you walk me back to Jordan as a young man, uh, where you were at in life, um, what what you looked like, what you felt like, and uh, and contrast that to 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 where you are now and and how you got here? Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up um, in a pretty uh, gnarly home environment. Uh, both of my parents were uh, alcoholics and addicts. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about that. You can probably imagine what that looks like. It wasn't great. Yep. Um, uh, and, you know, growing up in an environment like that, I, I didn't have a lot. I, I didn't get a lot of attention as a kid. I didn't get a lot of affection. Um, and that kind of morphed into a lot of self-confidence issues as I got older. And, you know, I was always a small kid. Um and I, you know, actually I was, I was fairly chubby until I hit my growth spurt around 12 or 13. And that's when I became a big string bean. Um, but, um, I, I think I just kind of started doing the stuff that I saw, right. Which was, you know, drugs and alcohol. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll spare all the, the nitty gritty details, but it got really bad, really fast. Um, I, I overdosed in what was it? 2011 in February of 2011, mm. um, on a combination of alcohol and Xanax and, um, and I almost died. Um, and that's why, that's why I was so small. Um, I shouldn't have been as small as I was, but I was so small because I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 the substance abuse is, is, is probably the most catabolic thing that, that you can do to yourself. Um, it literally eats your body. Um, so, you know, I found myself, um, 
in this spot of being, I got clean when I was 18 years old of never really having had any, any confidence or self-worth or goals or aspirations. Right. So, you know, I got clean, which was great. It saved my life. And, uh, you know, I started to, uh, get involved in a, in a 12 step program and that changed a lot of things for me. Um, but I never really gained any sense of direction. Um, and I think that I've heard a lot of people talk about this. Nick has talked about it. Rip has talked about it. Um, you know, about how our, our physical existence is so inherently tied together with our mental and emotional health. Um, and I really didn't understand that until I started this process. Mm. Um, and I start, I got into this process about the same as everybody else does. It was actually a buddy of mine who dragged me into it. He, he wanted to start going to the gym. And so I tagged along kind of begrudgingly. Um, I had never really been into, into lifting weights or, or fitness of any kind. Um, I played football briefly and poorly in high school. Um, and that was, that's that was a pretty brief exposure to that. So, um, you know, he, he took me to the gym and, and, you know, it was fun. It was more fun for the, for the social aspect of it. I was kind of hanging out with my friends. Um, and I really don't know when the switch got flipped, but I started to enjoy it. Um, I started to like the idea, not the idea. I started to like putting in X amount of work and getting X amount of result. It was a, it was a one-to-one relationship, um, which is, you know, something I had experienced before, but maybe not in such a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a tangible degree. So, uh, and, you know, like a lot of other people, I, I was spinning my wheels for a really long time, you know, just kind of doing the bro stuff, things you read in magazines, things you find on the internet. And I remember I've been doing that for several months. And I remember sitting down one day looking in the mirror and like my arms still being really, really skinny after however many months of trying to get bigger. Um, and I was like, man, this should not be this complicated. Um, and I remember sitting down and typing into Google, uh, simple strength training program, hmm. um, and, and starting strength came up and the rest is history. So, you know, I did my first LP and, uh, you know, I did, I did go mad. I did it all. Um, so, and by the way, a, a gallon of milk a day is, is, is difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to do. <laughs> um, I mean, when I first started, I think I was eating, I was eating at least 5,000 calories a day, probably more. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, 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 I read, I, 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 I devoured the material. I mean, I was obsessed with it. Hmm. I bought the books, I read the books. Um, and I, I just got it again. I fell in love with the process hmm. that, that, that really positive feedback loop of doing a thing and getting the result for that thing, um, was, was something that I had never experienced like that before. Hmm. And I remember at a point where like I'd start, I'd start to go around my friends and family and, and they would look at me and be like, you know, you, you look different. What are you doing? Um, and, and it wasn't just that I was bigger, right? Like it was the look on my face, right? Um, it, was, it was how I carried myself. You know, people notice that stuff. Um, and like people treat me differently now, right? Um, they treat me differently than, than they used to. Um, you know, uh, and because I, I think whether I try to or not, I think there's an air of confidence that comes with being big and strong. And a presence. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, and really, it, it's kind of without even trying, um, which is kind of cool. Um, just, you know, coming from coming from the place that I came from, it's, it's not something that I really have to think about much these days, um, which is uh, uh, really neat. You know, the uh, the stuff you go through as a kid, if it's rough can make you a shell of yourself to an extent. It can make you uh, fearful of interacting with other people. It can um, make you feel small and uh, unimportant. Um, I remember as a kid, I, I would, uh, I was, I was too insecure to walk through the mall without just this overwhelming um, feeling of, uh, of self-consciousness, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't just a size thing. It was just psychological based on the stuff that I'd been through when I was young. Um, and I don't know if you feel this way, um, as far as, you know, I don't know if you feel the same way that I do, but once I went through the process of getting stronger, uh, I had already developed some, some psychological fortitude and I'd, uh, I'd proven to myself in my twenties that, you know, I, I can accomplish things and I'm, you know, I have qualities and traits to be proud of. 
Um, but then when I went through the process of getting stronger, um, people started treating me differently, just like you said. And, uh, you know, people were more attracted to me and not in like a, not in any kind of like a romantic way, but just my presence was more attractive. I would get more positive interactions from others. Um, and it's a, it is a, uh, you know, I feel like in life and training, um, in psychological health, there's like, you're either moving forward or you're regressing, you know, it's either, it's either progress or it's atrophy. And, and the nice thing about everything we're talking about now is it is a, um, it is a positive feedback loop that keeps building on itself. Um, the stronger you get, the more confidence you get, the further along you get in life, the more positive interactions you have with other people, um, the more you prove to yourself that, uh, you know, whatever, however life was presented to you as a kid, however negative that may have been, um, you can escape that, you can grow past that, and you can become your own person and, and define your own destiny. And um, one of the most important things about that that, uh, that I found in my own journey was constantly exposing myself to fear. Because what, what is insecurity, right? Insecurity is just you're afraid something bad's going to happen. You know, you're right. afraid someone bigger or stronger than you might beat you up or say nasty things. Um, you know, you're afraid that you maybe don't have the traits that you would want to have in a particular situation, whether it's at work, in a social situation. Um, and then over time, you prove to yourself that you do. And then before you know it, you're, you're a different person. And, and you, are, you are physically, literally... Um, and figuratively, right? Because us now versus when we were kids, there probably isn't a single cell in our entire body that's the same. It's all kind of recycled. Um, right. And I feel like, uh, yeah, it's, this is a good message. You know, I know, I know um, in 2022, it's not the best time to be a young man. Um, I imagine it's not the best time to be a young woman. I don't have as much direct understanding of that situation. There's a lot of uh, mental health stuff going on in the world. People are dealing with a bunch of loneliness and tech addiction and anxiety. And um, I wanted to spread your message for that reason because it's inspiring and um, it's fucking great. I mean, you're sitting here as a big, strong man and you've got a great career as a coach and uh, you've turned it around. So well done, man. And I hope that there are some young men watching that get inspired by that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Me too. So what's your, what's your body weight now? I am sitting around 250 ish. Um, I've been, I've been heavier. I got up to about 260, 262, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, so I've, I've come down a little bit. So I've gained, you know, well over a hundred pounds of body weight. Right. I'm at about 70 or 75 myself, which is, it's hard to fathom. Um, I mean, even that's, you know, impressive. And, and by the way, like it took, it took every bit of amount of, of the amount of work that it sounds like it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It's always been a struggle for me to gain weight. Um, unless I, unless I want to get fat, that's pretty easy these days. But, um, but if I want to, if I want to gain, if I, if I want to gain the weight, well, it's uh, it's really damn hard. I got to yeah. eat a lot of food. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, I think that's good. I think it's good that it's hard. You know, for those of you that are out there feeling sadness and uh, feeling a little bit directionless, um, if you set your mind to a hard task, that is a process that takes time. Um, that also entails learning new things, um, exposing yourself to fear, and proving to yourself that you can do something amazing. That has a tendency to have a, a profoundly positive effect on every aspect of your life, not just your health and fitness. And I think that's the main message because I don't know, my experience was um, like, yeah, I had experienced hardship, um, but I don't think I had ever voluntarily done anything harder than I had to, to get by. Right. You know? Um, and like, man, when, when, when you're under a heavy squat and, and it's the last rep of the set and it's, and, and everything in your body and your brain is screaming at you to rack it, that you can't do it and you make yourself do it anyway. And, and you finish it like something happens to your brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you, you, you teach yourself that you are capable of doing more than you thought you could. Yep. Um, yep. and that is, um, extremely profound. Right. And that, and I found that that, that transferred over into a lot of other areas in my life. 
Um, you know, the longer I've been in this process, the more transfer of that I see. I mean, man, I didn't have a work ethic before I started training. Um, I didn't know how to work hard. I always used to tell people that, you know, I had to work hard to work hard. Um, and I still struggle with that a little bit. I think that's kind of that, that was ingrained in, in me for so long that, you know, that's, that's just kind of part of how I'm wired, but, um, it's, it's a hell of a lot easier to override these days. Right. Um, and it's like all the, all the addiction stuff, like that stuff didn't really go away with training. You know, it's like that stuff that I still have to manage and keep up with. And I do stuff outside of the gym to manage that, um, and, and, and stay healthy in that way. But, 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 uh, training has become a really key component of, of, you know, not only recovery, but, but my mental health, um, it's, it's extremely meditative. It's the only time of the day where like, I don't have room in my brain to think about anything else. It's forced um, meditation. <laughs> you better really, yeah, be, in, yeah. you better be in the moment, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Um, so it's, um, I mean, it, lifting weights and training has, has done a lot to keep me clean over the years. It really has. It's, it's been a huge, huge component for that. Like, I don't know where I would be without it. Yeah. Um, and, and man, even if that wasn't the case, like, and there's, there's a, a line in the beginning of the blue book that, that I love that really jumped out to me when I read it for the first time. And it was, I'm paraphrasing. Um, it was something like, you know, a, a, a strong person is always going to be happier than, than, than the weak person, like all other things being equal. Yeah. Uh, and I like, man, I can, I've lived it. I can say that that's true for sure. 100%. And, uh, we might do that quote on a shirt someday. Cause it's, it's, uh, one, it's a good call. yeah, it's, it's a good call. Although it can seem a little bit confrontational to people that are not strong. And, um, just like our stronger people are harder to kill message. That message is not intended to shit on anybody. That message is no. intended to say, strength is not, I mean, you are born stronger or weaker based on your genetic endowment, but maximizing that genetic endowment by through the process of strength training is somebody that anybody, it's something that anybody can do. Um, and it's a process that's worth going through. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the quote is meant to inspire you to action. And if you're already reading the book, you're already committed, you're already thinking about it. Um, yeah. And, 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 and it and is by the way, as, as, by the way, as far as genetics go, I mean, I, I've got I got the genetic end of the the, the shit end of the genetic stick um, pretty hard, man. I've got like a 17 inch vertical jump. Uh, no, no shit. So, uh, you know, man, it, I, I, it, it sounds maybe a little condescending, but but like, man, if I can do it like anybody can do it, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, what are your so, PRs, by the way? Seventeen inch vertical. Tell us, uh, prove prove the haters wrong, and and tell us what you can uh, <laughs> what you can do okay. with that level of genetic um, endowment. So my best squat is five hundred with a barbell. Since then, I've I've had some shoulder issues lately, and I've been using the safety squat bar or the Mars bar quite a bit. I yep. squatted five thirty five on that. Damn. Um, uh, I've done a six hundred deadlift, um, and I've pressed two sixty five. And we don't talk about my bench press because it's terrible compared to the others. <laughs> Have you surpassed um, 300? I, I hit 300 and, and I was good there. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a loyalist to, uh, to the press. So yeah. I was cool. I was cool with 300. Yeah. I like the press a whole lot more than the bench anyways. I, that, the bench is take it or leave it as far as I'm concerned. More fun. Yeah. So, um, 17 inch standing vertical jump, 600 pound deadlift, 500 pound squat, 265 press. I mean, that's, uh, that's incredible. That's truly incredible. Um, what, how long did that take you and, and tell us about the process? So I'm trying to think of my timeline here. I've been training for around seven years or so. Um, and when I started, I think my first, my first workout, my squat was around 95 pounds. I don't even remember what my press was. It might've been the empty bar and my deadlift, I think was like 135 somewhere in there. And that might've been a little too heavy, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I got my, I got my squat up to 405, probably within the first three years or so. 
mm-hmm. of training. Mm-hmm. Um, the deadlift took me a lot longer. Um, I was having a lot of technique problems with the deadlift. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't get a coach for probably about three or four years. So, uh, you know, that, that was, that was all on my own doing it, uh, from the information that I'd read in the book and, and watched on the videos and all of that. Um, and by the way, you know, come to find out that I was doing a lot of stuff wrong. So get a coach, please. Cause you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. Um, and, uh, our stories are so, so similar. 75 yeah. pound squat on day one, 135 deadlift, 60 pound overhead press, maybe 65. And, uh, was doing so much wrong, you know, and yep. my, my, the yep. pain in my elbows is uh, evidence that I was doing it so thoroughly incorrectly. Yep. Um, Mine too. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, let's see, I struggled with the press for a really long time. I actually, when I, so it's, uh, the Dallas gym has been open for about three and a half years ish. Um, when I started working there, I mean, I was only pressing around 160. Mm give or take. Um, and I, I don't, I've slept since then. I don't remember if it was like a mental block or if it was, Oh, you know what? It was that I hadn't discovered how to do the layback yet. That's what it was. Mm. Uh, so, um, you know, once I discovered how to do the layback and I'm pretty sure it happened by accident, but that's usually how it goes. Mm -hmm. Um, it just kind of flew up from there, you know? So I, I got, let's see, I'd gotten my squad up to about four, 54, 55. Uh, my press was around 200 and my deadlift was just over 500. It was about 515. I think it was, I think it was at a competition at a meet at Wichita Falls. I pulled 518. Um, and that was, um, uh, since then, um, I got on TRT, which was another big thing. Um, I was feeling like absolute garbage. I was actually, uh, training for the Olympic lifting meet, uh, that happened at Wichita Falls a couple of years ago. And, um, it, it, it beat the shit out of me. Um, it was a totally different animal than anything that I had ever done. Um, you know, I expected it to be not easy, but maybe not as stressful because the weights are a lot lighter. Um, and it's like, yeah, maybe, but, uh, just the amount of work is, uh, is, is ridiculous compared to what I was used to. And it's all dynamic too. So, you know, it was just, it was a lot more stressful than I thought it would be. Um, and it, it beat the hell out of me. And I, t- I remember talking to Brent one day, cause no matter how much food I would eat, no matter how much I would, I was, I was trying to sleep. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't helping at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to Brent one day and he said, you should get your, you should get your testosterone checked. And at the time I'm like 27. Hmm. Um, and, and I was, and I had never even thought of that. And I was, I was, I was not offended really, but I was kind of taken aback. I was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty young. I don't think that that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I don't see how it could be. And, it's unusual and, and, for guys in their twenties, but not, not, uh, not completely, yeah. you know, it, it does happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So he, he was like, listen, just humor me. Uh, you know, we, we know these guys, the, uh, the, the Whitmers, they're great, by the way, little plug there, um, you know, go go, go get it checked out. And, you know, just if nothing else, so you can cross it off. Right. Um, and so I did, and, you know, lo and behold, I mean, I was sitting in the high twos. Um, I was about two ninety or so. I was two eighty nine. Um, no shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Rip has said on his show all the time about, you know, people noticing a difference in 72 hours, like, man, that is true. That is a hundred percent true. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was depressed. Right. Um, for one, uh, and, and two, I mean, my recovery, uh, got insanely better yep. really fast. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so I, you know, I don't think that I would be lifting what I am lifting currently without that. Sure. In fact, I know sure. I wouldn't. No, it definitely um, helps. There's no doubt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's been a total game changer. So, so after that, that's, that's when I got the rest of my lifts up to what they are now. But you hit the 500, 400, 300, 200 plus um, with with depressed levels of testosterone from substance abuse and whatever else you put your body through as a young man. Is that right? Yeah, I didn't. I hadn't hit the 300 yet, but I'd hit all of the others. Oh, 300 on the bench. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because um, the haters, yeah, was, will, the haters will say that, uh, you know, well, it's just, you know, any program works with testosterone. And it's like, well, no, that's not, that's not the yeah. point. Let's make the, <laughs> yeah, let's I, make got, the I got most of the way there without it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I got I got probably I don't know what the percentages are, but I got most of the way there without it. Um, I think I was sitting around 275, 280, somewhere in that ballpark on my bench press mm -hmm. before the TRT. So yep. it can be done. And I just want to be clear, um, since there are young men listening, uh, I do not condone the use of testosterone unless you have a problem to solve, you know? Um, yeah. and Steph, her partner is a pharmacologist and she's got a, she's got a, a you know, she's anti-drug for the most part, which I think is probably a good position to be in because once you start messing with these systems, um, we don't, we can theorize and hypothesize about what, what happens and what doesn't happen systemically and, and by using, um, whatever drug over a long period of time. And ultimately it's, it's, uh, you're taking some level of risk, even if the risk is unknown. Um, and so I just want to be clear that starting strength is the answer. If you want to get big and strong separately from that, if you have a hormonal issue, then, you know, you, you, you can look into that and potentially solve the problem. But, um, there is no, there's no free lunch. There's no, there's nothing that only has upsides. There's, there, there's a downside to everything, as I say. So, um, yep keep that in mind. And, and yeah, I, I can't stress enough. If you're a young man thinking about turning things around the, the place you start is with the barbell. Um, and the reason why Brent asked you those, that question about your hormones is because we, we do see this all the time and we're seeing low testosterone, um, among men. It's almost, it's almost epidemic level type stuff. Like, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, I fall into that generation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, the plastics that we're exposed to or environmental toxins or just the fact that we're connected to screens all day and aren't outside in the sun doing physical stuff. I'm not sure what the, uh, what the reason is for the declining levels, but, um, it's, it's absolutely occurring. Um, yeah, but yeah, get under the bar, get strong, do the program. And that, that is all you need for the vast majority of people. If you happen to be in a situation where you've got other health problems and you need to you know, I guess there's the first three questions that Rip asks, then there's almost a fourth question, isn't there? Um, but it's a, uh, it's kind yeah. of the thing you do last, not the thing you do first. So I just want to make that very clear. Um, so now you're at, at starting strength Dallas and, uh, what's your role over there? What are you, what are you doing? Are you a, a staff coach? Yep. Yep. Staff coach. I coach all of the morning classes. Um, so I'm there Monday through Saturday doing all the morning stuff bright and early at 5:30 AM. Um, which I, which I, I love to be honest with you. Um, which, uh, is, is not most people's reaction to having to get up that early, but, um, I, uh, I like it because, uh, I get off at around one 30, two o'clock every day mm. and I've got the whole rest of my day to kind of do whatever I want. It's That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's one place we differ. I'm not a morning person by any stretch. I would. Uh, I had to. Uh, I had to work. I had to work my way there. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a night owl by nature. It took a lot of adjustment. Right. Um, yeah. I usually catch a second wind. I definitely don't sleep enough. I usually I usually catch a second wind around eight o'clock at night. You know, or just whenever it gets dark. Mm -hmm. um, and then I stay up later than I should. But. Yep. Um, so tell me about the, the team over there. Tell me about the, your staff. Tell me about, uh, the members. I want to hear about the culture, the vibe, anything you want to share about the gym, please share. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the culture is incredible. Um, I, I don't, I, I sincerely, I don't even know if I can put it into words, how great the culture is there. Um, you know, going to work doesn't feel like going to work. Um, it feels like, going to hang out with my friends who I get to yell at sometimes because their technique is bad. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and it's a, it's, it's my dream job. Like I can say that confidently. It's a, yeah. it's the best job in the world. Hell yeah, um, and it's just, I mean, you know, I, I've been with a lot of these people now coaching them for over three years. You know, it's like, you see, you see these people three times a week for years on end. And it's like, they become, they become your friends. They become your family. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and we have a lot of that going on in the gym. I think it's, I think that's kind of Brent's mission, um, is, is to kind of replicate the culture that we've managed to create at the Dallas gym on all of his others, you know, Plano, San Antonio, and soon to be Fort Worth. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I can, I, I, I hope, I hope we do because the Dallas culture is just amazing. Um, the staff is amazing. Um, let's see. There's me, there's Jane, 
she's she coaches the evening classes uh brent coaches as well and then we've got a couple of apprentices um all of them are great all of them are great i love i love working with all of them um you know it's i've i did a lot of work for um corporations before i got this job right like a lot of a lot of desk jobs things like that um and i've never worked for a company that actually cares about its employees um and like by by care i don't mean like you know uh throw you know have like a celebratory lunch once a year in the break room uh, sort of a sort of a care right like office space with a cake or something yeah exactly yeah. um it's, it's no you know like uh like brent invests in us uh not only as employees but as but as people and it's like man like you can he, he, he you know we're, we're treated like we're treated like we're people and we're expected to do the job and we're expected to perform and we're expected to do it well um, but you know, um, it's, I, I, I've never, I've never, uh, at any other job felt like, uh, I had this much value, which is, which makes going to work awesome. Like yeah. it really does. It, it changes the game. People are paying $455 a month to listen to what you have to say to them based on the knowledge that you've accumulated, um, in order to yeah. help them become better versions of themselves. So that's a pretty cool situation. I mean, um, I, I can I can see why some doctors end up being the way they are, <laughs> you know, because that can uh, that can inflate your ego um, a little bit when you roll into the room and everyone just kind of you know wants to hear what you have to say, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it seems like the culture at your gym is healthy as far as that's concerned, and and um, that's been transplanted planted over to Plano as well. I know I know that for sure because uh, a few of your members from Dallas went over to Plano when it opened. Um, and yeah. I, I just got off the, off the podcast interview with, uh, with Michael Jones mm-hmm. and that guy is, I mean, he's a saint. He's, uh, the amount that he cares about his people. It's just, it's, it's beautiful to see. Like it's yeah, it, it, like you, I mean, you guys, you guys are, this is your thing. This is what you do yeah. for a living. You love what you do for a living. You love helping people. It's rewarding. It's this, there's nowhere you'd rather be. Um, so and that's just something- great for me to see. So something that is kind of um, hammered in really hard um, with uh, with twelve step fellowship stuff is 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 contributing to society, mm-hmm. right? It's like you know we come from a place where um, where not only do we not contribute to society, we we actively take from society, right? Um, and and I think that you know, it's like, if you have a regular job and by a regular job, I mean like a corporate job, um, some people can do that and be happy and and that's totally fine. And I, I, I applaud you for that. That's just not me. Um, but like, I never felt like I was contributing to society in a really, in a, in a, in a real way. Right. I was always doing it to, because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. Right. I, you know, I, I got a nice cushy desk job, um, at a young age with no degree making decent money. And I was like, this is what people do. I'm going to be here until I'm 65. I'm going to die at this desk. (laughs) And, uh, and, um, you know, that's it. Number one, it definitely doesn't have to be that way. Um, and two, like, I never felt like I was actually accomplishing anything. Like I wasn't making, I wasn't, I wasn't leaving any sort of mark on the world. Um, and it wasn't until I started training that I found out that that's something that I kind of wanted to do to begin with. Um, and then, but when I got into coaching, it's like, again, from a, from a coaching perspective, that's also a really positive feedback loop and it happens quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, especially with this process because of how fast it works and how well it works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, man, uh, you know, I, I get to, I get to contribute to society in a real way. I mean, you know, I've, I mean, and, and there, and there are other coaches that have been doing this longer than me that have had, you know, more, more touches on, on on this stuff than I have, but man, I, I, I've, I've gotten a lot of people stronger. Um, and I've improved a lot. I've helped to improve a lot of people's lives. And by the way, like my job is easy. I stand there and yell at you and tell you what to do. The people that the people that are doing the, the, the lifting are the ones that are doing the actual work. Um, but, but it feels extremely rewarding to, to be able to play a part in that on such a large scale, you know, cause it, it wasn't really a thing until the franchise gyms, came along. I mean, like it was, I mean, there were, there were gyms with, with people doing this stuff, but I mean, it's just, it's grown larger and larger and larger right. since, since the franchise gyms became a thing. Um, so thank you, I guess, for, <laughs> for, 
for giving me the best job in the world. Yeah, it's man. It's been awesome. Yeah. I'll give Brent the credit for that one, but, um, I'm indirectly involved. So you're welcome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I knew this thing had to be spread to more people and, um, I know how to organize people and resources to grow things. So I figured what a better use of time and, and, uh, what a better use of my skill set because I had a, a very similar situation where I became disenfranchised with corporate life on multiple occasions. I got the cushy corporate job and was making fantastic money. Um, and then I, by age 20, I was just like, I got the condo, I got the car, um, I got the job. Is what's next? Was this it? You know? And, um, at that same moment in my life, I was going through a, a rough breakup. Since we're talking about all the sappy emotional stuff, uh, I just wanted to tie this to your point about, um, I didn't realize a 12-step program suggested that you contribute back to society. I think that's that's really great. And I found mm -hmm. that in my toughest moments in, in my life, the uh, the thing that helped me the most is, is trying to serve others, trying to find um, other people that I could help in some way. Um, yep. so I want to, I want to make sure this podcast has some practical advice because your story is so inspiring. And I just want to give my opinion on if you're a young guy and you're struggling and you want to contribute to society and you know, you're can't be a coach, don't want to be a coach or you do, and it's going to take some time. I've got two suggestions for you, two things you can do immediately. So number one, it's kind of the same. They're in the same vein. There's two organizations you can work with. One is big brothers, big sisters. So when mm. I was 20, I started mentoring this kid that was 12. Um, we're still close friends to this day. He is, he's in his mid-20s. He became an entrepreneur. He lives in Thailand. He's a videographer, um, just talented, smart kid. And it, it absolutely could have gone the other way based on his familial situation. Um, so me helping mentor this kid sh uh, shone a light and, and was almost a mirror of myself. Because when you're, when you're trying to help other people succeed, you have to take a look at your own situation. And then that's another positive feedback loop. That's one organization you can work with. Um, if you're older, you can work for CASA. A CASA is a court appointed special advocate. Um, I'm very passionate about this organization. So if you look at the, the, uh, the major issues we have across our society when it comes to crime, most of it can be traced back to familial problems. Um, orphans, people that have been through the system, they, uh, they end up in jail, um, at, at super high rates. Um, and they don't have mentorship, they don't have guidance. And sometimes these young people are stuck in a system, they're, they're pushed into the, the bureaucratic machine as four-year-olds or six-year-olds, mm -hmm. and they've got to stand in front of a judge and have their life decided upon by a stranger. So if you become a guardian ad litem through the CASA program, court-appointed special advocate, your job is to get to know this kid and then help represent them in court so that you can fight on their behalf or whatever happens to be best for them based on your actual understanding of the situation. So I mentioned these things because, uh, yeah, if you're struggling, it might help you. And then also because the more people we have in programs like these, the more kids will, will take the right path instead of the wrong path, which is good for them, good for you and good for society, for society at large. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, but let's switch back to the, the main topic of the podcast. And I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to contrast your current job because it, it made my day to hear you say that this is your dream job. I mean, that's like, for me to hear that is, I, I tried to set up the incentive structure um, in a way that would attract people like you and make people just like you feel this good about the work that you do. So that's awesome for me to hear. Um, would you mind contrasting the current job with your corporate job? And would you mind telling us what your corporate job was, like what your what your career was? Sure, so I don't know that I had a stable career long enough to call it a career. I, I, I did a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, I, uh, I, most of my jobs have been oriented in, around sales in some form or fashion. Um, so the first, first one that I had was uh, I worked at a, a kiosk in the middle of the mall selling screen protectors. So I was that guy that you uh, pretended that you were on your phone and looked over at your favorite department store. So you wouldn't have to 
to talk to me when I was trying to get your attention to sell you something. Um, and you talk about getting an introvert out of a shell, man, that'll do it. Um, this is the most uncanny conversation. I know shit had the same job, but I was selling cell phones. <laughs> really? That's awesome. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and so you know how fun it was then. Oh, yeah. Um, it was good so, for me though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so it, you know, I did that for a little while. Um, the, the big corporate job that I was talking about, I worked in auto finance. I worked for a, uh, a subprime lending company. Um, yes. Right. So, um, most of my jobs that involve sales that I've, that I've had, um, have felt very snake oil to me. Um, some kind of uh, trickery or conniving or um, frankly, just lying. It's fucking it felt predatory, like manipulative and predatory. Yeah. Yes. It's not something that I really felt good about doing. Yeah. Um, especially the auto finance uh, job. I mean, man, we were, we were giving people 28% interest rates uh, and, and sending them on their way. Like it was no big deal. I mean, it was uh, criminal. I mean, it was, it was awful. So, and, and, you know, listen, there's a sales component at, at starting strength Dallas as well. Like there has to be, and I think you've been pretty transparent about that. It's like, we, it's, it's like, we're not trying to not make a profit. We want to make a profit. Um, it's the only thing that will enable us to grow. Absolutely. No profit equals. Uh, we don't get to serve people. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but like the, the means by which we go about it are pretty diametrically opposite. Um, like when I, cause I, I do most of the open house stuff at, at the, the gym as well. So it's like, we've got an open house, uh, every Saturday at noon where potential leads kind of get funneled into the gym and they can come in and talk to somebody and learn more about us. Um, and, and that is basically, um, a sales pitch, um, is, is really what it boils down to but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like I get to talk about stuff that I like and that I, I know a lot about and that I have a skill set with. And then I get to demonstrate the value as best I can. And if they're going to buy it, they do. And if they're not, they're not. It's like, you know, this isn't for everybody. Um, we've said that multiple times. And um, the ones that it is for see the value and they stick around. Yep. And that's, it's just, it's so transparent and honest um, that it just, I, you know, I, I really appreciate that about about the about the process of 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 working at the gym because again I've just had so many snake oil sales jobs where you just you don't feel good about it you really don't um, even even when I was working at uh, at a commercial gym that's how I started coaching I worked at um, I worked at a big box gym for a couple of years before I I started working for Brent and um, you know you're hired on as a personal trainer. And that's really not your job. You know, you're like, yeah, that's part of your job. Um, but your, your real job is how many training packages have you sold this month? Yep. Um, and, and all of, all of the, all of the team meetings were oriented around sales. All of the one-on-ones were oriented oriented around sales. Um, and there were performance metrics based on sales. Um, not even necessarily retention. It's how much are you selling currently? Mm. Um, and you know, it was a beating. Um, and it, it just, it, it kind of, and I was really surprised because I quit my, my cushy corporate job to work at a commercial gym because I knew it's what I wanted to do. And I knew that I was young enough where it was, if it was a really, if I was going to fuck this up really bad, um, I needed to do it now while I was still young enough to recover from it. If I had, if I was making a huge mistake. So I took a huge pay cut, um, and, and I, I started to, I started to try and coach at this gym and I was really excited. Right. Cause I knew that it's kind of the, the thing that I wanted to do and I get to this place and, um, and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. I thought it was going to be what I do now. Um, and it was, it was just very corporate. Yeah. Um, it was very corporate. Um, and, and, you know, not to mention that, you know, trying to, trying to coach this material in that environment is not easy. It's really, really difficult. Uh, you have all this stuff on the training floor that looks really appealing. You have all these people around you that are doing things that look, uh, that look appealing. Right. And, and I found myself and, and actually this ended up being pretty good experience for me down the road, but I found myself basically having to, um, 
to, to sell this, this process and this method to people, because I wasn't going to do anything else. That's not what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to pretend to do anything that I didn't know how to do. Mm. Um, and not only that, but I just know this works better. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, uh, it, it ended up being good experience for me because I learned how to, how to talk effectively about, about how this method works. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it actually ended up being good experience in the long run, but at the time it was rough, you know, um, you know, you don't start off with any clients. You have to kind of hustle and get on the training floor and accost people and, and get your own, get your own clients. Um, so that, that was fun. Um, and you know, regardless of whether you want to or not, you end up making concessions, right. With, with the people that you, that you're, that you're training because, um, you know, they have two squat racks, one of which, one of which is a Smith machine, right? It's like, if the squat rack is taken, well, what are you going to do? Right. It's like, well, the next best thing, I mean, man, I, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I picked up a loaded barbell and put it on someone's back right. and had them right. do their squats. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's what I had to do and I wasn't going to do anything else if I didn't absolutely have to. So it's like stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously in, in, in the starting strength gyms, that's n- none of that's a problem. It's like, we only have the stuff that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the, the contrast is, is ridiculous. Yeah. I, my suspicion is that the average, uh, commercial gym member that signed up for personal training may not be as excited about doing the hard things that we require them to do when compared to the people that sign up for our gyms. Is that a fair assumption? Absolutely. Most of them expected, um, to do what all of the other trainers were doing with their people, which is the stuff that we all know, the Bosu ball, light dumbbell machine stuff, um, you know, that's there to make you sweat. Right. Um, and when I, (laughs) and here I am telling them, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do barbell squats. Um, and we're going to do them this way and we're going to add weight and we're going to get you stronger. Um, and, and a lot of people didn't stick with it. Right. Because, um, you know, again, it's just the environment was kind of working against me there. Um, you know, you, you see, you see a lot more people stick around at, at the starting strength gyms for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're already bought in. Um, yeah. I want to go back to what you said about sales. Cause I've been in or around sales for my entire career and I've been in jobs where my livelihood was on the line if I didn't hit my quota. Uh, yep. For example, at Verizon, if we didn't have a, an accessory attach rate of three per device sold, um, we could we could be written up, and then write ups could lead to termination. You know, so it's not about what's the best fit for the customer. It's about hey, we have to place a huge subsidy on these phones to get people in the door, so you have to jam accessories down their throat so we can recoup our margin. It's a totally different philosophy, um, and it's kind of gross. You know, I remember. Uh, yep. we had phones that were $30, but the tag said it was $80 and it included a $50 accessory pack. Um, and there were three accessories. So you could hit your, your three accessory attach rate and everybody up the corporate ladder would recommend that you position the phone as this is an $80 phone and it comes with three accessories. And then mm-hmm. the FTC got involved and, and prevented Verizon from doing that. Um, and that just goes to show you where their mind's at and, and their philosophy and their culture. So I still give the sales training to new franchise owners. And uh, I, I basically open up the training by saying, we don't do traditional sales. I, the word sales just, is just, too, it's too loaded. You know, um, p- nobody likes being sold to. The yeah. best salespeople in the world don't have to sell anything. They have a valuable product or service. And it's just a matter of asking the right questions to, to determine if it's a good fit for you or not. And if you're just right. trying to force it to make it a good fit, then you're being a sleazy, manipulative sales guy and you're thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about the person on the other end of the transaction. But if instead you ask the person questions because you want to understand their situation because you're genuinely interested to determine if you can help them or not, not only Mm -hmm. is that the more ethical thing to do, but people appreciate the hell out of that. You know, I've said it Mm -hmm. a million times before, nobody likes the fucking gym sales guy behind the desk at 24-hour fitness. I mean, I, I went into an LA fitness when I was living in Orange County, California, asked if I could sign up and the guy wanted me to come around to his desk and sit down and show me some paperwork. I was like, 
my man, I don't have patience for this. I just want to know what the monthly price is. I want to know what all your catches are, all your terms, this and that. Can you just give me the simple, straightforward answer? And then we can, I can give you my credit card and then I can go train. And he wouldn't let me do it. He wanted to go sit me down and I, I left, yep. I left. So I'm allergic to that shit and, uh, I won't stand for it. And, um, that's not the culture of building at these gyms. Um, because you guys are engineers, man. You're not a, you're not a guy that throws a, that helps clients throw around pink dumbbells at 24 hour fitness. You're uh, you're an engineer of human health and performance. You, you have a certification that was extremely difficult to obtain. You have a model in your mind that you can apply to any living human being. And when you apply that model successfully, you can change your life for the better. And so some people that will resonate with some people and it won't with others. And that is perfectly okay because the last thing we want are people that aren't bought in. Yep. Our, our, our gym owners will call people that are not showing up to training and will say, I don't want to take your money. Number one. And number two, you, there's an empty rack in the gym for the session that you had reserved. So I'd rather mm -hmm. give that session to somebody else so they can take advantage of, we, of what we have to offer. It's the same to us as far as how much money we make, but we're not in this just to separate people from their hard earned cash. Um, yep. that, that is, that is something that needs to happen so we can keep our doors open and keep expanding, but we're actually here to help people and people like yourself, Jordan, um, get fired up by that. It, it motivates you. I mean, dude, you get to do your dream job and doing your dream job means that you help people live better lives. What else could you ask for? You know, man, not much, yeah. <laughs> not much. Um, because, and, and I think, you know, having, having a job that just sucks the soul out of you uh, is, I, I never understood why people do it for as long as they do. It's like, you know, you spend most of your time at work. Um, and, and like, man, the, the, the place that I spend the majority of my time, I don't want to hate being there. Um, I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather enjoy it. So I'm, I'm, it's, I'm fortunate that I get to do that. And it's funny you mentioned that because I use that exact same line in the uh, management and, um, uh, this is the hiring and selection training that I give to new franchise owners. And in that, I tell them, the people that you select for your team, you will likely spend more time with than your spouse. So don't rush into hiring people. Take your time. Right. You know, Get to know these people. Make sure your values align. Understand what motivates them. Understand why they want this job. Uh, get to know whether or not their standards and their work ethic matches yours. Um, make sure this is someone that, that you enjoy hanging out with. The last thing you want to do is escape the shackles of corporate life, open up your own business, and then be like, oh, I got to interact with this fucking guy when I get to work. <laughs> if that happens, that's your fault. Right. You're, you're the leader. You set the tone. You decide who gets hired. So I always recommend that people hire slowly and fire quickly. Um, for that reason. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I can, I can say that I don't work with anybody that, 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 uh, that, that does that, or, or that feels that way to me. Right. Um, and, and it, you know, it's funny that, that you were talking about the sales process earlier, people coming into the gym, it's like, it, it's almost, you know, they, they think they're interviewing me, but I'm interviewing them too, yeah. you know, to see, to see if it's a good fit. And I've told people before, this might not be a good fit for you. Um, cause like, we're not in the business of taking people's money. Um, if, if we don't, if, if they don't find the value in it and for people that I don't think are going to find the value in it, like truly, um, then, then we're not for them and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and not only is it okay, it's okay to tell them that to their face. Sure. Um, sure. you know, and, and I think that that's part of why the culture at Dallas is so good, um, is because, you know, we've, uh, the, it's, it's been it, like the herd has been cold, you know? Um, and, uh, and we just got, we just got a bunch of really great people. And you got to protect your culture because you know, like yeah. any small group of people, if you let someone into that group that is not aligned in terms of work ethic, values, commitment, all these other things, it can bring down the quality and the vibe of the entire session for that group. And since we care yep. about our people, we have to, we have to be protective and, Make sure that the person that wants to join the gym is is legitimately a good fit for the gym, and we believe they're going to show up. We believe they're going to put in the work outside of the gym, and we believe this is the right solution to whatever problem they've defined. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's end with uh, 
with your favorite member success story and take as much time as you need to think of one. But, um, oh, geez. the, uh, the, these conversations get me fired up more so than I anticipate. Um, and then the things that, that the, the, the real motivation for me, the thing that keeps me going, um, even when this job is extremely difficult, which it often is, is, is just to hear honest, hardworking, conscientious people, um, discover what we have to offer, work with people like you. And they're just not only blown away by the results, but also blown away that they've met someone that really gives a shit about them. And that this person has a skill set that's uh, specific, um, that is helpful, and that uh, basically answers the questions that they have about how do I take this biological system that I'm trapped in and optimize it to make the most out of my life. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's hard, man, uh, to narrow it down to one. Um, the one that jumps to my mind right away is um, I actually did a, a YouTube interview with this kid. Um, this was probably about a year and a half ago ish. Um, his name was Max. Um, he, man, and it's just because he reminded me so much of myself. He came in and he was, you know, 160 pounds, super skinny. And you could just see on his face, he, he wasn't confident, right? Like he didn't really look you in the eye when you spoke to him. Like, you know, his handshake was kind of soft and timid, that sort of thing. Um, and you kind of walked with his shoulders like this slumped all, all over. And, uh, and, uh, gosh, I mean, he started off, he was weak. He, he was, you know, kind, kind of around the same numbers that I did around 95 pounds for a squat, maybe a little less, you get the idea. And, um, he was with us for almost a year and then his, his job took him elsewhere. So he, he's not a member anymore, but, um, he got, he got his squat up to just under 400 pounds for reps. Um, and we took his, we took his deadlift to, I think at that point he was doing rack pulls for his, for his heavy pull. It was somewhere in the, in the low to mid fours. Um, he was pressing right at 200. I remember he had a 200 press right before he, he left. Um, and he was benching in the high twos and man, he was a different human being by the time he left. Um, you know, uh, again, he was, I mean, like, man, it, it makes such a difference when you see somebody and you go up and you speak to them and they look you in the eye and they, they shake your hand and it's a firm handshake and they're standing up like this tall with their chest out and their shoulders back. Yep. I mean, people, and that's why I said at the beginning that people treat me differently is because I kind of do those things now without even having to think about it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so was he, right. It was, and it had, it was so, it was such a profound change and like, man, his tone of voice changed. It was like, he had sparkle in his eyes again, man. It was great. Hell yeah. Um, uh, and, and he gained, by the way, uh, you know, a good 70 pounds of body weight right. in like a short period of time, like five or six months. Um, and he looked like a linebacker by the time he was done. Um, and it was just, it was just really, really cool. I saw, I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of me in him. So that was, that was really neat. I remember the first time someone came up to me and asked me a question, um, that reminds me of what you just said. I was in a hotel lobby and someone said, uh, are you on a rugby team or something? I'm just like, and, and I, I was brand new to being bigger and stronger. Right? And that just, I was still like a little skinny guy in my head. And I was just like, man, to, to be perceived in that way by a stranger is that's definitely where I'd rather be than be perceived yeah. as a, as a, would you call it a, 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 a string bean? Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. A string bean. I, I, uh, I've, I've, I've had people that, that I'm meeting for the first time outside of anybody I know, uh, in, in my, in my, we'll call it my gym life. Right. Um, that like have thought that I do like a bodyguard work for a living yeah. or like that I'm a bouncer yeah. or something yeah. like that. And I was like, Oh no, not even a little bit, <laughs> you know, it's like the farthest thing from what I do. Um, but it's like, man, people, people, people think that about big, strong, big, strong people, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's still, it still blows my mind that, that I look like that. Um, yeah. it's pretty neat. Yeah. Another quick anecdote for you at a music festival, I'm walking through the security line and, uh, I'm walking through and then it's the spot where you have to get checked by security and the security guy like points at me. And I, I think he was saying like, are you with, are you security? And then, you know, we clarified that, I, that I wasn't. And then he just started asking me about my lifting program and stuff. And I had a water bottle in my hand and he just let me through he's not supposed to do that. <laughs> he just, yeah. he was totally distracted because he was, you know, he's, he's on the same journey. Um, it's yeah. just kind of cool to share that camaraderie. 
By the way, one last point about the posture. The posture thing, I think, comes from confidence and walking taller, like the Jordan Peterson yep. stuff, right? Um, yeah, but I think it, I got that. It, it also comes from the fact that when your skin and bones, your skeleton just kind of hangs in gravity, especially when you're doing this all day on your phone. Um, right. And then uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I'm, I've seen some criticism about the starting strength program not providing enough upper back work. And it's like, well, clearly you have not done the program because when you low bar squat and you pinch your shoulder blades together like that, and you've got to hold them for the whole sweat set rather, same thing on the bench and, and on the deadlift. The, the amount of muscle mass you build in your posterior chain, including at the top of your of your back there, um, just pulls your shoulders back and kind of broadens your chest and improves your posture. I mean, I see computer programmers come in with the with the computer programmer hunch and a couple months into the program, they're walking up like normal people and walking tall and proud. And and yeah. it's it's just great to see the transformation physically and psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jordan, man, I enjoyed this conversation. I uh, love your story. I'm glad you got to tell it. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. All right, talk soon. Thanks.